You're listening to The Horseman's Mindset, where we meet to discuss horses, mindset, and mental health as it relates to your horsemanship journey. I'm your host, Ashley Purden, and I want to help you to bridge the gap between where you are now and where you want to be with your horse. I'm going to teach you what it is that separates good horsemen from the rest and how you can grow into that role for your horse. This show consists of my personal opinions and is meant for informational purposes only. Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another podcast episode. Thank you for joining me every Monday morning as we discuss horses, mindset, and mental health, and we dig into what my last week looked like and If there was an interesting thing that went on with any of my horses, which I definitely have some stuff to share with you today. So before we dive in, I do have one quick housekeeping piece that I wanted to ask you guys. We have about 40 consistent listeners to this podcast right now, and individual episodes have gone up to 80 individual listeners listening to them. But I need your help to get the word out about my podcast and to get more people to where they can find it in the app store. So the way that you make a podcast more searchable is through reviews. So if you could go into whatever platform you've been using to listen to this podcast, whether that's been Facebook, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify, and go find the podcast and leave me a rating and a short little review. It doesn't have to be fancy. You guys don't have to overthink this for my overthinkers out there that are listening. Just a quick little review telling everyone how much you're enjoying listening to the podcast, and that will help other people to be able to find me as well. I so appreciate you taking a moment to do that for me. So last week was a really big week. I dropped my old horse, Jake off at a therapeutic riding school. He's basically on a free lease, essentially. So whenever he gets to the point that he's not going to be able to do therapeutic riding anymore, I will get him back. So for all of my listeners who were worried that I just took him and dumped him, that did not happen. (laughs) He's being taken very good care of. So he is at New Horizons Ranch in Rantoul, Kansas. And they specialize in hippotherapy, therapeutic riding, equine-assisted learning, equine-assisted psychotherapy, and they also have some summer day camp programs as well. And New Horizons is ran by Joy and Brian Miller and their daughter, Sarah. And I think they've been in business since like 2007 or so. And I've known them, our connection was we graduated from the same college. So when I was going to college, they were alumni and we met through a professor of mine who insisted that we must be introduced. And I'm so glad that that connection was made. Um, Sarah has come and apprenticed with me over a couple of different summers and or winters. I can't remember what time of the year it was, but she spent a couple of good chunks of time riding with me and learning about my program and my philosophy. And she's actually spent time riding Jake during those periods that she's spent with me. So she knows kind of all the little ins and outs of Jake and he is kind of quirky, but you know, nothing really major. It's funny as I uh, was demoing him for them the day I dropped him off, I went ahead and just showed them a little bit about what he does with his round pinning and rode him around just a little so they could kind of get an idea of different things he can do. And I really have no concept of what's going to be useful to them and what's not going to be useful to them. But I was showing them some of the stuff he does. And I was reminded that the things that I think aren't perfect are like way above the standards of your average horse person. (laughs) So I think he's going to fit in really well to their program. They were really excited to see him. They really loved his size. He's not too big. I've never put a stick on him, but I would imagine he's probably 14.1, somewhere in there, 14.2 maybe. Um, He's definitely not 15 hands. So he's a good size for an adult to be able to ride, 
but also for them to be able to get individuals with physical handicaps on and off of a horse, which is kind of a whole thing. So it's that can be um, one of the trickier parts of the whole process, just having a safe mount and dismount. And when your horses are really big, that complicates everything. And it makes it, I would imagine, a little bit of conjecture here, but I would imagine it would make it difficult for the people on the ground because sometimes they'll have an assistant walk alongside of the horse depending on the extent of the individual's disability. And so they'll have a volunteer walk along on the side to be able to assist that student and help them balance and all of that. So when the horse is too tall, it just makes it hard for everyone to be able to access and I mean, like, obviously they do a great job and it all works out, but I guess Jake's size just makes all of this much, much easier, which is fantastic. So that was really exciting. And he is settling into his first week there. This coming Wednesday will be a full week that he has spent there and they're going to start incorporating him into the herd, which I warned them that he squeals like a stuck pig when he meets new horses. So he literally schools like a mare. It cracks me up. And unfortunately, he's taught some other horses to do that. So hopefully he doesn't get like multiple horses in their herd to start squealing at everyone because it's kind of an unnerving sound. <laughs> it definitely makes your hair stand up. Um, but I'm really looking forward to all the reports and hearing about how he does and how he integrates into their program. And I just wanted to say this last little bit about Joy, Brian, and Sarah, they are just wonderful people. They're those people that will give you the shirt off their back and stop what they're doing and help you if you're in need. And I actually was on the receiving end of this a few years ago when I was running EC full-time. I had a man that was helping us clean the stalls. And he decided that he wasn't going to be able to help me for a period of time. And I was really at a loss as to what I was going to do and how we were going to get the stalls cleaned because we had like over 20 stalls to get cleaned. And I was running my training and lesson program and managing the barn. And there was just no way that I physically was going to be able to get all those stalls cleaned. So it ended up, we were able to get the guy back after a few days, but we had maybe like a period of a week where we were really up a creek on stall cleaners. And Joy and Brian had heard about this need of mine, um, I believe through Sarah. I can't remember if she was riding with me at the time or how they found out, but they just showed up one morning. And they showed up with muck forks, and they were just ready to clean stalls. And you have to remember, guys, they have their whole own operation that they're running, and that keeps them very, very busy and they just showed up on one of their days where they didn't have any therapy going on. They came out and cleaned my stalls for me, guys. And that is, that's just something that is a rare find these days. You just don't find a lot of people who are willing to drop what they're doing and come help. Um, there's a lot more of, to me, I see a lot more of people posting about things on Facebook or social media or talking about things to a friend, but very few people actually jump in and physically help. So that was just shout out to Joy, Brian, and Sarah for um, your wonderful friendship and being willing to jump in and help. And I certainly hope that my donation of Jake for this period of time into your program turns out to be a blessing for you guys and can be a way that I can reciprocate um, what you guys did for me. So health-wise, I am feeling much better. I'm so thankful. Definitely an answer to prayer and an answer to a lot of hard work on my end. I'm not going to sugarcoat that. I have had to completely revamp my diet multiple times and Essentially, I'm intuitively trying to figure out what has been bothering me. So if I don't feel well, I have to remember with this alpha-gal syndrome, it could be something that I ate up to eight hours prior to not feeling well, whether that's going to be an actual anaphylactic reaction, which 
Thank goodness I have not had another one since my trip to Colorado, knock on wood, but I can still experience some discomfort or brain fog or lots of different symptoms come up when you have food allergies. So if that happens, I go back through my previous day and I think about what I ate and if there's anything new or different, I might consider weeding that out. So I've gotten down to a really basic diet, but the blessing in that is I'm eating extremely healthy. It's forcing me to eat lots of whole fruits and vegetables and fish and chicken and turkey and all of those things are very good for you. So nutritionally, I'm probably eating a lot better than I ever have before, at least consistently. I've tried cleaning up my diet multiple times before, but it's interesting. My willpower was not nearly as strong as it is now that I'm really on this mission of feeling as well as I possibly can feel. I've gotten past the point of being afraid of all of my food. Um, I'm definitely interested to see how the rest of my food sensitivity tests and my allergy tests come back, which I will have all of that um, completed by the end of this week and then probably results back in the next couple of weeks. So I'm curious to see how that goes, but I really am tired of not feeling well. Um, I haven't consistently felt well, and this isn't me complaining, I'm just stating a fact, but I have not consistently felt well maybe ever. I've always had kind of these ebbs and flows where I would feel good and then I'd feel really bad. And we thought a lot of that was connected to my bipolar disorder, which I believe a lot of it was, but there was a certain percentage of it that wasn't. And we're starting to get to the bottom of that as well. So definitely learning how or relearning how to do social situations um, around food. I'm getting more disciplined about bringing my own food places because essentially my diet is simple enough. I would say it's complicated, but it's really not complicated. It's very simple that processed foods and complicated recipes that have a lot of different ingredients in it, most of those things are going to be out for me. Um, so I'm getting more disciplined about bringing my own food and really shifting my focus on why I am at these events. It's not actually for the food. It's never been for the food. It's for the social engagement. So I have a church group that I usually meet with on Sunday evenings and everyone brings snacks. And the first Sunday was really hard. I was like, oh, I always loved having all these desserts with everybody. But I had to stop myself and remember that I'm actually not at all there for the dessert. I'm there for the people and the social interaction and the fellowship. And once I stopped and kind of checked myself on that, it was like, oh, yeah, this isn't about food, is it? So um, while that was definitely a fun component, it's not going to you know, break me to not be able to engage in that portion of it. And then also I had a surprise birthday party for one of my friends that I participated in helping decorate for and got to attend this weekend. And again, there was so much food. You know, people are cooking hamburgers, which I can't have any red meat. I'm not eating any gluten or sugar right now. So, I mean, by the time you eat all of that out, like the vegetable tray is about the only thing that I can have. And I ended up not even noticing. I went ahead and ate beforehand, which was that's definitely going to be a strategy for me. I ate beforehand and then I made a point of seeking out people and talking to them, which I can be kind of weak on. I have a hard time engaging with non-horsey people. So if any of you are out there that you feel like you get put in social situations and you're the only horse person there and you don't know what to talk about, that's completely me. So I made a point of seeking people out and engaging with them. And it turned out to be a wonderful evening, and I got into some really interesting conversations where I was captivated enough by what we were talking about that I didn't even realize that I hadn't eaten until I left. And so that was super – that was kind of a big milestone for me, I felt like, because before it was really hard for me to be in those type of situations, and I was feeling really sorry for myself that I couldn't eat the food that was there. So – um so yeah, I'm feeling much better. I'm feeling more optimistic. And just the fact that I have more energy again and my mental clarity is back is such a wonderful gift. 
I don't know if you noticed, but the last couple of podcast episodes, the last couple of weeks, I had actually written my text out. I tried not to make that super obvious as I was recording, but that was something that I needed to do because I was not able to follow a train of thought for any period of time um, before I would get confused or forget what I was going to say. I was having some issues pronouncing some words and my stuttering was coming back, which I had previously thought was completely a mental health symptom, but my mental health has actually been better than ever. So that's really exciting too. So all of this is interconnected, right? Like we don't have any parts of our health that are just a completely isolated category. Everything affects everything else. So I'm really doing a lot of learning about how much these food allergies have been messing with me. And so today is the first day that I am off script. I wrote an outline, which has been a weak point for me. So I'm definitely learning that skill. So I can actually sit down and write out an outline, which is really exciting and, and just talking to you guys. So if I ramble a little bit more today, that would be because I am not completely on a script. <laughs> um, so yeah, so that was kind of health-wise my update for last week. And it turned into a very productive week. I had not been feeling well. I had a medication I had to take for five days that made me very, very, very sick. But I'm very glad I took it because it's made me feel extremely better after I got through that five days. And so that concluded, um, let's see, about a week ago. And I was approaching that first Monday back to work. And I had taken multiple weeks off work to where I wasn't able to go in and ride horses or give any lessons. And the weather had been kind of spotty, although I did miss one really nice, like 70 degree week. Um, But last week was my first week that I was like, no, I am ready to get back in. I have missed so much. I'm starting to feel the littlest, teeniest, tiniest bit better, but I had no stamina at all. And one of the symptoms I had from that medication was pretty significant vertigo, So I, when I would be on a horse, it would make me really dizzy. Like even just walking, um, just that motion was just like, Ooh. So I decided instead of taking another week off, even though last week was cold and I, I certainly could have gotten away with it if I'd wanted to, I decided to have my assistant, Hannah, who has been doing my virtual stuff. So Hannah has been running like my Facebook page and has been helping me record videos and edit videos and post videos and sending out emails. All that stuff has been Hannah. And she also, the reason I know Hannah is because she boards at EC. So she rides, she has an eventing background. She's a very good rider. And I asked her to come out and help me exercise horses So I walked them on the first day, and then I had Hannah do the long trotting and loping under my supervision, and it was wonderful. It was like we got eight horses worked. I would have been hard-pressed to get two worked by myself. We were so much more efficient. I didn't have to walk out to the pastures and catch horses, groom horses, do all that stuff that's a little bit more physically taxing, and I essentially got on each one, tuned it up a little bit from a walk did their warm-ups. We worked over some Cavaletti exercises to work on their range of motion and flexibility. And we just tailored the session to the two of us working horses. And it was wonderful. It was just really, it was a great reminder that sometimes we can't do everything ourselves. And sometimes the bigger blessing is asking for help. So I did. I reached out and I asked for help and I didn't feel defeated. I actually felt really successful by the end of the week because she helped me two or three days. I can't remember. I think it was two days. And then the third day I worked horses by myself. Yeah, that would be right. And by that Friday, I was able to work six horses and give a lesson. And then I actually went to another barn and I worked my horse and one more client horse that day. And that evening I went over to my dad's house and had dinner. And I still had energy left over for conversation and hanging out with people, which is something that has never happened before. Usually by the end of a day like that, I would just be spent. So I was really, really excited to have such a successful week last week and really get some stuff knocked out. And then this week, I'm going to be getting back into my lesson schedule. The weather's looking better and getting these horses ridden. So last Monday, 
was my very first polyvagal class. So it was my first theory class. And we've been focusing on the polyvagal theory. And that was the intro class. So it went off really well. I ended up having six in-person students and five online students that watched it live. And I loved it. It worked really great. I feel like I... I'm still searching for a platform to do these on to where I can save them back and people can go back and purchase them later. But if you are interested in participating in our next class, I would certainly recommend that you watch this first one. So I do have the recording of it available for purchase for you to rewatch if you would like to or watch for the first time. If you were in my class and you want this recording, I will send it to you. Um, if you weren't there, you can purchase this recording for $30 and you get the classroom live feed video recording and you also get a PDF download of the slides. And there were quite a few slides for this topic. It was not a super easy topic for us to get our heads around, but I broke it down and made it as simple as possible. And it's really going to lay the foundation for um, explaining what I do in my training philosophy and in my training methods and kind of tie everything together. So that was what I was really excited about sharing this with everyone is it fills in a lot of the holes of how I can explain what I've been doing. So I did not come up with a polyvagal theory, but it turns out that I have been using it intuitively in my training process as it's evolved over the years. So it was pretty cool to be able to share that with everyone. I got some great feedback and I'm looking forward to the next class. So I gave everyone in the class a little bit of homework and that was to spend some time observing our nervous systems and their responses throughout the month. So these classes will be spaced about a month apart from each other. And so... Of course, I went ahead and spent some time doing this in myself this last week too. So essentially, the assignment was to pay attention to when other people or horses or animals or whoever is in your environment, notice when their nervous system has a response and see what your response is to their response. Because our nervous systems tend to try to follow each other. There's kind of that almost herd dynamic between our nervous systems and those of the mammals specifically around us. So I had an interesting observation about this as I was working my last horse on Friday. So this last week we had a, quite a bit of snow and the arena that I was working this horse patch in, patch is his name is a fabric arena. So I don't know if you've ever seen one of those, but it kind of looks like a giant greenhouse essentially. And it's lovely. Like you get really nice light, you get good airflow. And in the winter time, so one thing that I don't love about that arena is it collects snow on the roof. And since the roof angles, the snow will periodically fall down in clumps and chunks off the side. And it's quite a thing. It's more than just snow falling off of a metal roof. It's like they can see the shadow. They hear the scratching, clawing sound of the snow coming down the side of that fabric. And it goes all the way from the peak of the roof, all the way down, and then comes down the side. And there's like this really big shadow that they'll watch slide down. And it was my intention to ride patch that day. I had saddled him and groundworked him the day before after some time off and Friday was going to be the day that I was going to get back on him again. And as the snow fell, Patch had quite a nervous system response to that. And we have to remember that a nervous system activation is not a conscious decision that the horse makes. Same thing for us. So his symptoms were and I, I know this because of the symptoms that they were paired with, was increase in heart rate, racing heart rate, so elevated heart rate, and increase in breathing. So he was breathing faster. His nostrils got really big. His head went up in the air. His eyes got super wide, and his feet got faster. 
And another thing that I noticed was his tail got really stiff and straight. So you could like see like the end of his tailbones, like sticking out of the hair. It was like this straight kind of rod behind him. And every time that snow would shift or move or fall, he would jump forward and run off essentially is what he was doing, which is actually for him. That's really exciting that that was his response because he's a horse that has a tendency to go into a freeze response when he gets scared or worried, which makes him really hard to read. It makes it hard to redirect that and it makes it harder to get him back to that confidence zone. So as I was noticing what his reaction was, I was noticing my reaction, what was happening inside my body every time he shot off and spooked. And a couple of times he came towards me, he spooked towards me. Horses will do that because they are trying to seek out comfort. So I was the only other being in that arena with him. It was just the two of us. And he is trying to seek out that comfort of that herd dynamic. And if there were multiple horses together in there that all got scared, they would all bunch up together. So it's not like he was trying to be rude. He was just scared and he was trying to seek out some comfort by being close to me. And I, of course, defended my space because you don't want an activated horse. So a horse that's in an active fight or flight or freeze response to be right in your space. And he was clearly experiencing a flight response, right? So all of those signs that I gave you earlier are all signs of an activated flight response. So he doesn't get to be in my space until he calms down, until he gets into, at the very least, a less severe flight response, but starts tying back into that social engagement and rest and comfort base of his nervous system, which we learned about in our class on Monday. So I was noticing how I was responding. And the first time it happened, I was caught a little bit off guard and I startled and I felt my heart start to race. And I even felt myself start to sweat, which can be like another symptom that you're getting activated. And I got on a little bit of adrenaline. I felt I had an adrenaline dump. And I had a physical, um, like a visually physical reaction too, where I jumped. So he startled and got reactive and I startled and got reactive essentially. And before I had drawn my attention to this, I noticed that I had stayed activated for several circles. So I wasn't doing anything to try to actively calm myself. I was just like, oh, like when's the next piece of snow going to fall? What am I going to have to do to predict that? And how am I going to deal with it? I also was having thoughts of frustration about the fact that I probably wasn't going to ride him that day, which I really wanted to. And I was having to come to terms with the fact that I was going to need to figure out how to work with him on the ground that day. And I was feeling like, oh, this isn't what my client had paid me to do. And I just had like all of these thoughts that were kind of spiraling. So I think it's important to remember that even if you don't like actively in a physical way, go into a flight response, like with your two feet, I didn't start running around with him. Right. But my mind went into a flight response. I had like all these racing thoughts come on of worries and ruminations and things that I was just like, oh, I need to do this and this and this and this and and that was actually a response to the horse. So I didn't have any of that going on when I got in the arena and started working with them. I was actually in a very relaxed space and I was feeling good and confident. And I was listening to a podcast and I was feeling very grounded. And then that happened and there I am just totally untethered for a few minutes. It was like, oh, I had spiraled into a flight response. So this is kind of what I'm talking about when I'm saying we need to be more self-aware of how the nervous systems around us are affecting us. So I had no control over the fact that my nervous system reacted to his reaction, but the piece I do have control over is that awareness. So it took a few minutes for me to check in with myself and realize that this had happened. And then after it did, I decided, you know what, I'm going to spend this session working on my nervous system and regulating myself and seeing if I can get him 
to regulate with me. So from that point on, when I was able to draw some awareness to myself, I paid more attention to how he was reacting, what my body was doing when he was reacting. And the game began to be, can the horse react and have a physiological response to the scary stimulus? And can I get to a point that as he spooks, I have no reaction? So that's not just like on the outside having no reaction. That's on the inside having no reaction. So something really important to remember as you're doing groundwork with horses is we have this kind of cone of energy that comes out from us with a greater intensity from the front. So anything that you're pointing like your chest and belly button at is going to be more pressure to the horse than if you take your chest and belly button and point them somewhere else. So a lot of times when I'm teaching my students to release pressure off of a horse, I'll have them turn to the side, give the horse their shoulder, even give their horse their back when that's safe to do that, just to completely take all the pressure off and make sure that you're not still projecting pressure at them. Because horses perceive really active energy as pressure. They also perceive dysregulated energy as pressure. So I had gotten a little bit dysregulated, a little bit stuck in flight for a few minutes with this horse. I got a little frustrated. My thoughts were racing. I was having a physiological response. My heart rate got faster. I started sweating. You know, I was feeling like all this like worry and concern on a physiological level about the fact that he was spooky. And so I changed it to where I started when he would spook, I would start taking some big deep breaths to recenter myself and to get my nervous system to calm down. So a really interesting thing about breathing is it's something that your nervous system automatically does for you, right? So we don't have to think about each and every breath we take, but we do have the ability to influence our breath. So just because that's an automatic thing doesn't mean that we can't then draw attention to it and change how we're breathing. So my breathing had gotten kind of fast and shallow. And at times I was holding my breath, which is also projecting pressure at the horse and dysregulated energy. So I took a moment, I took a really big deep breath in and I held it for a few seconds. And then I really slowly let that breath out. And as I was working on drawing attention to my breathing and slowing down my breath, I took my cone of more intense energy from my chest and my belly button, and I pointed it away from the horse. So if you're imagining, I'm going around a lunging circle. I should have probably said that my exercise that I was working on when all this was going on was lunging. So I pointed myself away from the horse So we were essentially walking the inside and the outside of a donut. And I wasn't forcing him to walk. If he wanted to go faster than a walk, that was fine. I was walking. I don't really run when I do my groundwork, right? So I was walking and I was working on making sure that as I was walking, my shoulder was pointed to him and we were both facing the same way. So he's walking forward and I turn side on to him and I'm walking the inside of this donut and he's walking the outside of this donut or trotting or loping it, whatever he was doing. And the whole time, no matter what his reaction was, I just kept my shoulder pointed at him. I kept the space between us the same, right? So I didn't want him to come in at me. If I needed to turn my belly button to him for a moment to push him away from me, I would. But then when he would maintain his distance, regardless of what else was happening, I would turn my shoulder to him and we were walking the circle and I was working on my breathing. So I know it kind of sounds like a lot to work on at once, but it's really not. And I was making sure that my steps were really regular and consistent. And I was working on being his emotional anchor. So something that's really disconcerting to a horse is when they spook that we have no ability to redirect that or anchor that. So if they spook and then we spook with them, which is essentially what I was doing with him the first couple of times, I was worrying about when's the next thing of snow going to come down and, oh, this is so frustrating. And I can see why no one rides in this arena when there's snow on the roof, because it's just terrifying for everyone. (laughs) And none of those thoughts are really helping me or the horse in that moment. 
then I realized, you know what? The goal for today should not be riding. The goal for today should be to get this horse confident in this environment. I have this opportunity with the snow on the roof to be able to work through a situation that I wouldn't normally have. It's a lot of pressure. It's things and noises and visual stimulus that the horse can see from above them, which they can't see great, right? If it's directly above them, they have to like tilt their head to be able to see up there. And that's a really scary thing because in nature, if a predator gets above the horse, which you have to remember, your horse is going to categorize every scary thing as a potential threat, a potential predator, essentially. So that's their nervous system responding. It doesn't matter that these are modern day horses and they don't have lions chasing them anymore, mostly, right? It doesn't matter. Their nervous system is remembering the time that it was needed for that exact thing. So the horse is categorizing this threat as a potential predator. It's directly above him, which is triggering even more of a response. And it's loud and it's scary. So it's like it's got all of the components. So when my nervous system followed him, that proves to him that what he's worried about, what he's scared of is a real threat, right? So if only one horse in the herd responds to something and experiences a nervous system activation and the rest of the herd ignores it, it doesn't take very long for that one horse to calm right back down. But if one horse in the herd alerts and then another horse alerts and then another horse reacts and then pretty soon they're all reacting, it's going to take much longer for them all to come back to a confident, calm, relaxed state again. So with that in mind, I was working my herd of two, essentially me and this horse, and I was making sure that I wasn't following him. He's not the leader in this situation, right? I am. And I just walked these circles, just circle after circle after circle. We would do a little change of direction. But it was interesting because before I was really working on paying attention to my own nervous system, I would have been thinking of, okay, what exercises can I do? How can I move this horse's feet? How can I do more changes of direction? How can I get him more hooked onto me by putting pressure on him essentially? And instead of putting more pressure on him, I just worked on myself. And we walked circle after circle after circle. And after about 30 minutes of doing this, this horse changed. He had such a pronounced major change. It was so fascinating. His eye really softened. He started blowing out repeatedly, which when a horse blows out, that's a big release of tension. He started licking and chewing again. We got to the point that when a big chunk of snow would fall off the roof, he would just a little tiny bit scoot forward. He would just kind of tuck his butt and scoot maybe like one or two steps. And then by the end, he didn't react at all. Snow was falling off this roof and he had no reaction. And guys, this horse was terrified of the snow falling off the roof before we started. And all I did was point my torso away from him, take the pressure off of him and walk circles with him and work on my own breathing. So I was making sure that I was either breathing in time with my steps, or I was taking a big breath in, holding it, slowly letting it out. And I was changing that nervous system activation. So when we take something that our nervous system normally does unconsciously for us, and we get intentional about influencing that. So I'm talking specifically about my breath. That was something that I can control. I can't really will my heart rate to slow down or will myself to stop sweating, right? But I can breathe. I can change my breathing. I can slow it down, which then slows my heart rate down, which then starts calming my nervous system down on a physiological level. So this is beyond just thought work. I didn't really change my perspective other than I changed my awareness, right? I had more awareness of myself, but I wasn't like, oh, we're going to get something positive out of this session when I wasn't really expecting that at the beginning. I wasn't doing that. I wasn't really doing thought work. I was just working on calming my nervous system. And you guys, you know what? All of those racing thoughts that I had been having were gone. I was just in the present moment with that horse. And the end result was a huge amount of connection that I wouldn't have expected to have gotten that day. I really, it was kind of one of those days that it was like, well, 
we may just kind of have this as a throw out session. So sometimes you just have those sessions where you feel like you put in a lot of time and a lot of effort and a lot of energy and didn't really get anywhere. And then maybe the next day you see the benefit of it, or maybe you don't, maybe the next day you kind of have to undo some things. I thought that was going to be more our experience because of how much snow was coming off the roof and how much of a reaction he was having to that each and every time. Like just when he would start settling down, another piece of snow would fall off and he would reactivate. So he was essentially like flying a kite when we first got in there. I mean, he was racing around. He was very reactive, darting in towards me. He was very, very, very afraid. And to have him make that big of a change by the end when all I did was become essentially more passive and just work on myself, it was so amazing how his nervous system followed me. So I can't stress this enough. This is not about this horse making a conscious decision. This is not about the horse using his like reasoning or his thought process. He wasn't doing that. It was his nervous system unconsciously aligning with mine. And if I hadn't done that, what would have happened? It would have continued to escalate, right? Until I was able to, at some point, reground myself and become his anchor. So my horse had turned into a kite and I had two options. I could throw down an anchor and hold on to that kite and wait for it to like reel it back in, right? Or I could just let go of the kite string by allowing my nervous system to activate with his. And you could see if you were the kite, how that would be really terrifying, right? You don't know where you're going to end up if your leader lets go of the kite string. And I think we do that to our horses unconsciously all the time. We don't realize that we're let going of the we're letting go of the kite string, but we are. We're not trying to reel them back in. We're not grounding ourselves. We're not throwing out our anchor and becoming an anchor to that horse. We're just letting go. And when we do that, each and every time that happens, our horses lose their confidence in us as their leader, and it becomes harder and harder to find that connection. So I thought this was an interesting exercise, and I'm really thankful, actually, that I was forced to work through this and think through this, and that this ended up turning into a really successful groundwork session where we got a lot done. Because when a horse learns how to co-regulate with your nervous system and you start developing that pattern, they start seeking you out more. They start wanting to adopt your nervous system state. And again, this is happening on an unconscious level, but it builds their confidence in you. So when they are making conscious decisions and they will start looking to you for leadership and they'll get to where they start spooking from something. And they'll kind of start checking in with themselves very much like I checked in with me. And they'll be like, oh, wait, do I need to be scared? What's my human doing, right? Instead of everything just unconsciously escalating all by itself. So I hope that was thought-provoking for you guys. It's also a good reminder that sometimes we need to opt out of riding because I would not have been nearly as effective on this particular horse. I do have horses that I could probably ride in an arena with snow falling off the roof, and that would be fine. But this horse, we've kind of been rehabbing from a riding perspective. And if he had gotten spooked or started bucking, I would not have been able to keep my nervous system regulated and keep myself tethered back to my safe, social, relaxed, confident space in my nervous system to where I can be grounded and I can be an emotional anchor for my horse, I would have found myself becoming untethered as well. And we both would have turned into that kite that somebody had let go of the string, which then when that happens, then you risk getting bucked off, horse bolting with you, taking off, you know, all these things that then make the situation unsafe. And I am such a believer in figuring out ways to work with your horse and teach them how to regulate their nervous systems, teach yourself how to regulate your nervous system in a way that is safe for everyone. So in the groundwork, even though he was kind of coming in towards me at the beginning, I could easily defend my space. I felt safe working through that situation. It would have been an unsafe situation for both of us if I had decided to ride him. So that wasn't me chickening out. That wasn't me. That wasn't us missing out on a crucial thing that we could have learned under saddle. This is just where we're at right now. 
at some point I might be able to do this exact same thing with him maybe next year and be able to work through that under saddle. But right now for where we're at now, it was going to help preserve the horse's confidence and my confidence by turning this into a full groundwork session. So it ended up being about an hour of doing groundwork and feeling like I was really doing a lot less. I wasn't really trying to teach him anything. This wasn't a session to bring out a brand new exercise that he had never done before. I chose something he was really comfortable with. We've done a lot of lunging. We did some changing of direction. By the end, I was working on influencing his gait more to where I was working on transitions, upward and downward transitions, and getting those really smooth making sure he wasn't being quick or reactive about any of them. If he was, I just kept repeating it until he was able to be more confident about what I was asking him to do. And meanwhile, snow is continuing to fall off the roof, right? So we all have those situations that come up in those days that come up for you. It might be a really windy day with your horse and you were going to go for a trail ride and you notice that your horse has gotten really dysregulated and gotten very activated and stuck in flight mode. Or you might have a horse that really wants to play with you when you do your groundwork. And as we all know, for any of us who have those very playful horses, when we're riding, if they're playing and having a lot of fun, generally we're not. So that's another great way, another great situation that you can use groundwork for to build that connection with the horse, facilitate that play in a way that's going to keep both of you safe. And then once they get that out of their system, you can go ahead and ride and have a good ride. Or maybe that day you decide they're just so playful and have so much that playful energy. You worked them for as long as you wanted to, and it looks like that they're still wanting to play. Maybe you don't ride them that day. So this can be tough decisions for us, especially if there's pressure in your environment to ride. Um, I've certainly experienced that in the past with some of my friends. A lot of them just kind of tell me, oh, you just need to you know, cowgirl up and get on that horse and, you know, it's fine. And it's like, you know, I'm not going to put myself in a situation where I'm unsafe or that the horse is going to be unsafe or a situation where I get in over my head. So there are certain moves that a horse can do that's going to get me in over my head as far as what I am capable of riding out and being successful with. And I know if I come off a horse, I'm risking an injury, which is then going to possibly keep me from being able to do my job which that's a big risk, but it's also the bigger piece is going to risk my confidence. And it, it risks your horse's confidence too. When a horse dumps you, it wrecks their confidence as well. It's not just yours that gets messed up. So confidence is such a precious thing that we need to steward and build and support in our horses and make sure that we are facilitating our sessions in a way That builds their confidence, teaches them how to co-regulate their nervous systems with us, teaches us how to be the leader of that, and teaches us how to ground ourselves. So it's working on ourselves every bit as much as we're working on our horses. So I hope this helped you kind of think about things differently. Maybe not every single time you get your horse out to ride, you are going to ride. I hope most of the time that you set that intent, you're able to. And that's certainly the way it is for me anymore. I very rarely have a time with any of my personal horses or my training horses that I've had for very long at all. I very rarely have a day that I'm not able to ride them at all. But it may be I rode them for the last 10 or 15 minutes of the session. It wasn't the whole session. And then a day like last Friday, I didn't ride them at all. But you know what? I know because I spent the time building his confidence and bringing awareness to myself and making sure that I could experience a nervous system activation around me without having to feel activated or stay activated myself. And it was really cool. By the end of it, I was having no reaction. I didn't feel any kind of twang in my gut. I didn't feel any racing heart rate, nothing. I was just walking and this horse was reacting. And then pretty soon he was like, it kind of forced him to check back in with me because his nervous system wasn't getting that confirmation that there was a threat because I wasn't reacting with him. So then he was like, wait, maybe it's okay. And then he checked back in with me, kind of read me. Horses have an amazing ability to read our nervous system. I know that it's kind of common in the horse world to say a horse can read your mind, like they know what you're thinking. And this is what that means. They know when your nervous system has activated. They know when you're afraid. 
and they know when you're confident. And so when he checked back in with me and read me as confident, he was like, wait, she's confident in this situation. That was that little piece where he's actually able to have some thought. And of course, this isn't what he's actually thinking in his head. I'm way over personifying it just for explanation purposes. But he had that moment where he checked in with me, realized I was on a different energy plane than he was, and he was able to settle with me. So I think a lot of times we put it on our horse to do the settling first, and it's us. We're the one who needs to ground ourselves first and anchor that horse back down. It's not our horse's job to do that for us. So I hope this was interesting for you and got you thinking, and I'm going to give you all the same assignment that I gave my class on Monday to observe your nervous system responses when others are getting activated in your environment and challenge yourself. See if you can notice when you get activated. And I'm not going to ask you guys to do anything about it. You can if you want to. You can start focusing on your breath and regulating yourself and kind of make a game out of how quickly you can come back to that place of confidence and safe and social. And, um, you know, but don't, don't judge yourself about it. We don't have actual control over our nervous system activating, but we do have control of how long we stay activated. So remember that is an involuntary physiological response that your nervous system is trying to match the state of those around you. And then once you notice it, that's your frontal lobe checking back in and trying to add some reason to the situation. So as soon as that piece of awareness comes, you can then make a conscious decision about whether or not you want to stay in that activated place. And this is such a great thing to learn, not only for your horses, but just the environment of those around you. But it's essential to our riding. It's something that we're never going to get to a place where our horses aren't spooking from things. So if we can learn how to not engage physiologically with our horses spook, or at least not spiral off with them when they go into full flight mode, we really have a huge battle won. So remember, as you're noticing these things about yourself, be a casual observer of yourself and your mind and your nervous system. We're not going to add judgment in because you'll never get back to that comfort zone and safe and social place if you add judgment to it. It's just kind of one of those, you notice it, you think, wow, that's interesting. I've never noticed that before. And then you think, what can I do to bring myself back to being comfortable and confident again? And then observe what happens around you. You know, does your horse respond like my horse did on Friday? Really fascinating stuff. So I'm going to end this episode with a quote by Charles de Comfy, and he is a classical dressage writer. If none of you have ever looked into classical dressage, I would certainly recommend that you do so. And this quote is, you cannot shape the horse, only his energies. I'll see you guys next week. Have a good one. If you are enjoying my podcast, please visit pioneerhorsemanship.com where you will find the training tips and mindset coaching that I use every day to help my students and myself develop the mental, emotional, and physical skills that we need to become better for our horses. I'll see you there.